What we just heard was a setting of Isaiah 43. That's the same text that I opened the service with. And, and if you get one thing out of these anxiety-focused, peace-focused sermons the next few weeks, it would, be, it would be what you just heard. When you pass through the troubles of life, the Lord is with you. As we prepare to hear God's word this morning, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we pass through so many trials and troubles in this life. Lord, we face the waters, we, we face the rivers, we face the flames, and so often we feel alone and afraid and anxious. Lord, we ask that you help us, help all of us to know that you are with us as your people. And Father, help all of us not just to know that with our minds, but to know that with our hearts and our whole beings that you truly are with us in every circumstance. Father, you know each one of us, you know our needs, you know our strengths, you know our weaknesses. Lord, help us today to hear your word given to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to read from Genesis 32 this morning. Before we read, I want to give you a little bit of a, little bit of a, a sense of why we're doing this series, though you probably know that already, and a little bit of what I'm hoping to accomplish and what I'm thinking we won't be able to accomplish. We do live in an increasingly anxious age, and so I think it's important for us as, as we look at the world around us, as we look at our own lives, to, to see how the gospel speaks even to our unsettledness and our concerns. And this sermon series is, it's not professional medical advice, and it's not self-help. I'm not going to give you, here's three steps to have an easy life, or here's a solution to all your problems, because, because I think giving pat answers like that doesn't actually address the depth of our troubles, of our anxiety, of our fear, of our, of our whatever issue you want to pick. And also because I think the good news of God's grace transforms everything and can't be reduced to here seven easy steps to better living. So I want to I stay in my lane. So this won't be, again, medical diagnoses or, or self-help, but I hope, it will be, I hope it will be good news for us in this world. Some of my goals in this series are to acknowledge, to endure, and to go through, grow through our anxiety. And if you don't feel like anxiety is an issue for you, you can substitute depression or grief or, or any type of mental suffering or spiritual suffering you want to put in there. But I, I hope that we can acknowledge these things. Too often in the church, we, we feel the need to pretend that everything is okay and we give this wonderful dressed-up Sunday face even though our weekday reality is awful. Part of the goal of the next few weeks is just to acknowledge that for all of us, life is hard. And then not just to acknowledge that, but to find ways for us to endure the challenges that life brings, not to be overwhelmed or, or, or washed away, but, but to endure. And then maybe possibly we can even grow through these hard things. We can, we can find ways that our anxiety even can be a site where God works to help us grow. So I hope we can acknowledge, endure, and grow through our troubles in these coming weeks together. With that said, let's read from Genesis. We're going to read Genesis 32, 1 to 21. We'll come back in a couple weeks and finish the rest of this chapter. But for today, the first 21 verses of Genesis 32. As usual, the words will be on the screen. If you want to follow along a little more closely in the sermon, you're invited to pull out a Bible from the bench in front of you and, and read along or pull a Bible up on your phone, whatever works for you. 
Hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says that I have been, says, I have been staying with Laban, and I have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we're going to start by setting the stage a little bit and, and talking about how Jacob and we live in anxious times. And first, and I, I probably hardly even need to get into this, but, but we do live in anxious times. Perhaps the most significant, significant presenting things the last couple weeks has been all that we've heard coming out of Gaza and Israel. Last weekend, we heard news, and, and if you've wanted to, you've been able to watch videos and see pictures this week of terrible atrocities and and terrorist acts committed, resulting in the death of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of innocent people. People going about their regular lives at, at home, at a party, at a festival, gunned down without mercy. And that's just one weekend out of the year. We live in a world that is terribly disordered, and so often our rational response the right thing to do in response to our broken world is to feel anxious, to feel troubled, to feel afraid, to feel worried. We live in an anxious age, and we are often anxious with good reason. 
But there's another part of the reality of our lives, and that is that the world is better than it has ever been. Better than it has ever been. Let me give you a, a number of statistics to illustrate this. If, if you went back a couple hundred years, the percentage of the global population living in poverty was 84%. More than eight out of every 10 people were living in abject, life-threatening poverty. Today, the number, it's 8.6%. Still too high, but more like one out of every 10 than eight out of every 10. The chances of a person dying in a natural disaster compared to a century ago, they're down 99%. In 1900, people had to spend over 80% of their income on basic things like food and clothing and housing. And today we spend less than 50% of our income on those basic needs. And we have more and better food, more and better clothes, and more and better housing. In 1800, if we lived back then, we probably would all have to spend about five hours a week making candles if we were fortunate enough to have the resources to do that. And these days, we all just flick a light switch and we have as much light as we want. And the illustrations could, could be magnified bit upon bit upon bit upon bit upon bit upon bit to make this huge picture of, of how really good our world is. And, and we here are at the top of the pyramid. Life is really good. And yet we are more and more and more anxious. Mental health groups say we're living in an, an epidemic anxiety. And we can probably think of our own lives or people around us that, that mental health seems to be at an all-time low, even as life gets better and better. And, and maybe now we're stressed because life is so good and we have so many choices to make and so many good things. And, and what if we miss out on this? And we have this huge fear of missing out. And, and what if, 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 and what if my kindergarten test grades mean that I can't get into the right college? And, and what if, the, and, and we just can't live with all of the troubles that we experience, even when life really is pretty good. We obsess and we worry. In both the bad and the good, we live in an anxious and troubled age. And, and we live in this strange tension, maybe, that, that life is so good that we feel like we should be good, but we're not. And life is so terrible that we feel like we should be worried all the time, and so we are. And I think it's maybe more intense, or maybe it just seems more intense, but I think it's maybe more intense than, than many other times in the world, but it's not unique. And what we see here in Jacob's life is, is a man living in really anxious times. He has this mix of some really bad situations and, and some really good situations. In the midst of all of it, we see this incredibly anxious, anxious life that Jacob is living. Jacob was a twin, and he was born second. But when he was born, he came out grabbing after his brother's heel. And, and that's what his name means, Jacob, the heel grabber, the guy who was always grabbing and flailing after something else. And he grows up as the younger of the twins and, and always wanting his father's blessing and never gets it. His twin brother Esau is strong and manly, and, and the Bible tells us he's, he's hairy, and he's, he's this hunter, and, and Jacob's father loves him. And Jacob's father doesn't really care so much for Jacob, but his mother does, so he's mama's boy. Not a great place to be in the ancient Near East. And, and as the years go by, Esau and Jacob develop this more and more conflicted relationship, and, and there's a couple places in life at key points where Jacob tricks Esau. In one, Esau comes in from hunting, and he feels like he's going to die. He's so hungry. And, and Jacob says, I'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me your rights as the older brother. And Esau is a fool, and so he trades his birthright, his, his status for a bowl of soup. And, and Jacob goes away laughing. 
And then a few years later, as their, their father's about to die, he wants to give a blessing to Esau, but he'll ask Esau to make him a last meal. And, and Jacob and his mother put together this trick that they kill a goat and they put the goat fur on e- Jacob. And he goes in and he tricks his dying father, his blind dying father, into giving him the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And Esau, when he hears this, hatches this plan that once their father is dead, he's going to kill his brother. Which you can kind of understand, but it's not great family dynamics. So Jacob has to run off, and he goes to his uncle. And, and then there's, there's years, over a decade, of Jacob and his uncle Laban tricking each other, constantly trying to one-up each other. And Jacob is always on edge. And, and finally, he manages to run away with all of his wealth. And he's become an incredibly wealthy man. He has multiple wives, many children, all kinds of servants, all kinds of animals. And so he manages to run away from Laban. And on the way, he, he hears that Esau is coming. And as we read in the text today, he is afraid. He is anxious. And we, we in our lives so often have things that are beyond our control and things that, that maybe are in our control, but, but we live so often unsettled lives. Jacob and we, as we see in this text, we live in fear and distress. You know, often in the Bible, the Bible tells the story and lets us, lets us kind of interpret from the context how people are feeling. But here the text tells us just straight up, Jacob is afraid and distressed. He sends out messengers ahead of him to, to try to pave the way to peace with Esau. And the messengers come back and say, yeah, Esau's coming. And he's coming with 400 men. And the implication is 400 heavily armed men. And the implication is Esau is coming to kill you. And what does Jacob do? Well, Jacob tries all kinds of coping methods. And, and you probably should see him sort of waving his arms and, ah, Esau's coming, divided, you go over there, and you go over there, and you go with that group, and you go with that group. And by the way, how would you feel if you were one of Jacob's kids and he was dividing you into groups and saying, well, maybe half of you will die, but the other half will be okay. All right, you go over there, you go over there, and I better, I better pray. So I dash off this quick prayer. And people disagree on this, but I think Jacob's prayer is more insurance than anything else. Uh, God, help me out. And oh, by the way, okay, send the gifts to Esau. And go and go. And you know what you should do? We should have one group go and butter up Esau. And then you next guys, here's what you do. You go and you butter up Esau some more. And then you next guys, you go and you butter up Esau some more. And you butter up Esau some more. And make sure there's someone in back so he can run back and let us know if we have to split the groups and run off so that Esau doesn't kill us all. And I'm going to stay at the very, very back so even if everything else goes wrong, I can run away. What a life. What a life. And so often that's us. So often we are, we are managing and coping and we're saying, all right, do this and if I do that and if I do that and God please help me and do this and do this and do this and do this and even if all of that goes wrong, I can, I can get out of it and I can be okay. And we know that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work and so we often live in fear and distress. And you know, there are some coping me- methods that we can adopt when it comes to our anxiety, our depression, our grief, our Pick your mental suffering, your mental challenge, or spiritual, whatever. There are some coping methods that are really healthy. Jacob is, in some respects, being very wise to divide his family up, to send out gifts, and and to try to find a way to minimize the risk that he is exposed to. And for us, there are some really good coping methods to grab hold of. Go, Go to the doctor, see the counselor, take the pills, develop a better lifestyle. There are all kinds of things that we can do that are really healthy coping methods that can, that can get us to a better place. 
But there are also all kinds of unhealthy coping methods that we tend to adopt and and run around to this or that. Maybe a a beer or two at night to just help you calm down turns into a six-pack or two at night. And and if you go down that road, eventually it's a couple six-packs to get up in the morning and, and you just can't stop. Or maybe it's your relationship with food and you you binge and purge or you just always eat too much or you never eat enough because that helps you feel like you're in control when life feels out of control. Or maybe it's it's clicking those links that you know you don't want to click and you know you aren't going to like it and you know it's an addiction, but you can't stop yourself. Or maybe it's piling into the social media outrage and, and letting your fears be stoked by other people, but at least you feel like you're part of the group and together you're on the right side, even if it means you're more and more and more afraid of the time that we live in. We have so many ways that we live in fear and distress, and some of them are completely beyond our control, and some of them we choose over and over and over again. We're not that different from Jacob. And often we think, and our, our culture gives us this sense that if we just find the right technique, if we just find the right technique, if we just find the right coping method, if we, if we just figure out how to break up the groups and arrange the gifts and manipulate the Esau in our lives, if we just figure it out, then finally we'll be okay. Finally we'll be okay. And Jacob thinks that, but then as we draw to the end of this text, we find out that Jacob, and this is true for us too, he experiences a dark night. Here Jacob does all his planning and he does all his scheming, and yet at the end of the text he is, he is in the camp, and then as we read on we find out that he's alone, and he has to wrestle through a dark night. And there's, there's a tension here and a resolution, and we're mostly going to leave the resolution for a couple weeks from now, but... But there's a real tension here that Jacob has done all the things. He has done all the things, and he still is afraid and distressed. He still is anxious and unsure. And there probably has been a time in your life, and if there hasn't been one, there will be, when you've done all the things. And you've done all the things you should do after you've done all the things, and you've done all the things after that, and you are still in a dark night, and there are no options left. And you may be someone, if we focus on anxiety for a minute, but you can fill in whatever struggle you like here. You may be somebody who has to live with anxiety for a season and then situations change or you get on the right meds or you find the right resources and and finally you're able to get past that season. Or you may be somebody for whom anxiety is, is a friend. Anxiety is a companion that you will have to walk with for your whole life. And maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's grief, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's, maybe it's some kind of addiction, whether it's chemical or sexual or whatever. But in this life, we, we get to the point where we realize this is just what my life is. This is not fixable. It's not fixable. And what do we do in that dark night? In a lot of ways, the, the Christianity of America the last 50 to 100 years has propel, prepared us really well for life to be smooth, for us to be successful. But we have failed, we have terribly failed to give an answer as to what, to what we do with our suffering. What do we do with our anxiety? And one of the goals that I want for these few weeks 
is for us as a church, for us as individuals, to simply get to the place where we can acknowledge it. Where we can say, yes, I struggle with anxiety. Yes, it was a real challenge for me to get out of bed this morning. Yes, I know my life is not what I want it to be, and I can't fix it, and I don't know what to do. That is real life for so many of us. And I think we need to, we need to, we need to acknowledge that. And if, if as I'm talking this morning, you say, that's not me, I don't know what he's talking about, then maybe what you need in your life is a push to acknowledge that it is the people around you, this is their real situation. That I can 100% guarantee you there are people in your life who really did not want to get out of bed this morning and are just white-knuckling it through the day. This is, if it is not reality for you, it is reality for those around you. And let's acknowledge that. I think sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge the hard things because we're concerned they're going to swallow us up and and there's going to be nothing left of ourselves and we're just going to get buried in all the waters and and burned up by all the flames of trouble. But, But one of the realities of the Christian life, one of the realities of the Christian life is that we can afford to acknowledge even the very worst things in this world. God's grace always goes deeper. There is no water too deep for him to help us get through. And so one of the things we have to do if we are to be honest about reality, if we are to be honest with each other, if we are to be honest to what God shows us in the Bible, one of the things we have to do is to acknowledge our anxiety, to acknowledge our brokenness, to acknowledge that there are so many things in our lives that we can't fix And to recognize that there are real dark nights of the soul. And if you have not been through one yet, your time is coming. Your time is coming. Now, I pretty seriously thought about ending the sermon at that point because I think think we're too quick to jump to solutions. I think we're too quick to say, oh, if only you found the right whatever, then it would all be all right. And that is not how our lives work. There is an answer, and we will go on, and we will resolve some of this tension today and try to do more of that over the coming weeks. But we also need to live into this reality that the things, the things ain't right, and they don't always get fixed. So live in that tension. And it may be, it may be that you need to wrestle with what that looks like in the lives of people around you, or maybe you need to wrestle with finally admitting to yourself that the things ain't right. Or maybe all you need today is just to hear recognition from the pulpit that, yeah, yeah, some things can't be fixed. And so we endure. But there is a way that we can endure. And the way that we can endure is not by just white-knuckling it and saying, oh, I'm tougher than this. Because even if you're tougher than what you're experiencing right now, life will break you at some point. And the hope that we have, the only hope that we have, is that Jesus takes us through the dark night. Jacob faces a dark night, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll unpack that in a lot more detail in a couple weeks. But this text, I think, breaks at this point, and I think there is an intentional break here. The text wants us to pause and to see Jacob by himself, and to see Jacob alone in the dark, and then to see another time when, when there is another man who is alone in the dark and to find hope there. 
See, Jacob does, does pray in this text, and I think he is praying a trivial prayer. I think this is not, and I could be wrong, but I think he's not praying from his heart. I think he's kind of saying, oh God, you've made all these promises. Make sure you keep them. We have a contract. And oh God, you're so kind and faithful. Be kind and faithful to me, even though I've caused myself all this trouble. I really think Jacob's prayer here is less than it should be. But God answers even our prayers that are less than they should be. Even when we pray inadequately, even when we pray flippantly, God, God is still objectively, truly kind and faithful and there for us. And when we're running around and we've got all these half-baked schemes and we're, we're doing this and we're doing that and we've got the insurance and we've got the plan, we've got this, we've got that, we've got all the things, even when we're doing all of that in ways that don't work, the Lord is still there for us. There was a time in high school when, when life was really rough. We, we did foster care growing up in my family, and we just had a sequence of kids whose lives were unbearably difficult. Everything from fetal alcohol syndrome to abuse to, and I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on. And that was hard to wrestle with. And then a lot of my closest friends were, were really struggling. Some of them were dealing with the death of parents, some of them were really wrestling with their sexuality. Some of them were, were into some addictions that were really breaking their lives. And I looked around at all of that, and it went on and on. At some point, I thought, why? Why does all of this have to be like this? Why can we not just have, and we're entering fantasy land here, why can we not just have like one really bad day? Like just take all this suffering of this friend's life and pack it all into one day and just have it be over with. Why can't we do that? And I still think that'd be kind of nice. But you know what would happen on that one day? We would be utterly destroyed by the depth and darkness of our lives. I don't think any of us could handle all of our troubles rolled up into one moment or one day. But if we track Jesus' life and we think of him on the cross, we see not just his troubles. He was all-powerful and sin-free, but we see all of our troubles all the troubles of those of us here, all the troubles of billions upon billions of people all rolled together into one horrible dark mass and all of that is dropped on Jesus on the cross. All of our darkness, all your darkest moments, all the darkest moments of everybody you know in one horrible moment given to Jesus. You want to talk about a dark night? Jesus went through a darkness beyond what any of us could comprehend, and it would have utterly destroyed any one of us to do that just for ourselves. But Jesus took that on for all of us, for all of us. And then he died. And then he rose again. And in that rising again, we have our hope. Today we need to acknowledge that that we do pass through horribly dark nights beyond what we can bear. But we need also to recognize that Jesus gives us the power to endure even the darkest of nights because he has gone through the darkness and so he can lead us through. There's this little book that I read the last couple weeks called On Getting Up in the Morning. It's by Alan Noble. And his big point in the book is is that your life may be impossibly hard. Your life may truly be impossibly hard. Or your life may be incredibly good and your mind may still be telling you that everything is wrong and everything is off and you should just freak out about it. 
But regardless of those realities, the deeper reality is that Jesus is with us and for us. And so because of, because of Jesus' path through his darkest night and because of his resurrection, we can get up in the morning. We can endure even the darkest night because Jesus is kind and faithful even in our fear and distress. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to look at, we don't want to talk about, we don't even want to acknowledge the darkness in our lives. But Father, we live in a broken world and we live in anxious times and so many of us struggle so deeply. And Lord, we ask that in your grace you would give us the resources we need individually and as a community to acknowledge how dark our nights can be. Help us to be a place where it is safe to say that we, that we are anxious and afraid. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to endure those times. Help us to experience the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus in new and deeper ways. Help us to experience the power and the comforting presence of your Holy Spirit in ways that, that, that maybe we never have before. Father, this life is so hard, and we love and we trust you, but, but we often feel like we're drowning or like we're on fire. And we pray that as Isaiah 43 promises, that you, that you keep us from drowning in the dark water, and you keep the flames from setting us ablaze, and that you again, that you again remind us and assure us that you are our kind and loving, our faithful and gracious Heavenly Father. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.